0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, a meeting taking place to decrease tensions between the city of Hamilton, police, and the LGBTQ community. The funding for the cancer screening bus has been canceled. And uh, we're also joined by the new Minister of Education for the province of Ontario, Stephen Lecce, to discuss how he's going to approach his new portfolio. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. This is the day that uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger will be meeting with, uh, we think, some representatives of the LGBTQ community. Uh, We're not sure who's going to be there. Uh, We're not even sure what the agenda is going to be. Uh, We do know, having discussed that with the mayor earlier this week, that uh, the the purpose of the meeting is to try to build some bridges here. Uh, But there are still calls for action by city council on this. There are still some calls for an investigation of Hamilton Police Services about what's going on. And uh, still some calls for city council to be more proactive on this. So uh, with that going on, at least one councillor who is a member of the Police Services Board says he will uh, be asking police at the next uh, Police Services Board meeting about what went on and why. Terry Whitehead is a counselor for uh, West Mountain, uh, and he is, by the way, a former member of the Police Services Board. He joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us his perspective on this. Terry, good morning. How are you doing today?
1: Good. Be good to be with you and your listeners on this beautiful, sunny day.
0: It sure is. Uh, listen, right off the get-go, let me talk to you about you, about your perspective. You spent a lot of time as a member of the Police Services Board. Uh, you've, you've had to deal with a number of controversial subjects. Uh, I don't know anything as strong as this as, as what you've seen over the last little while. First and foremost, uh, to, to address the criticism and, and the suggestion, Terry, that some people are saying that City Council needs to demand a, a, a report from uh, Hamilton Police Services about this. As a as a former member of the board, is that something that you think has to happen, or do you even support something like that?
1: Well, I, I think this is a uh, battle of narratives, and I think the challenge is that uh, there's the uh, laws of the land. We have a police force, that's, uh, in my humble opinion, second in North America, very sensitive, multi, multi-racial, and 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 gender equity—all that trained. Uh, but they have the law, and, and and the law is what they have to uh, always revert back to when they're exercising their responsibilities and duties. So I really think there's a, a control to interfere with that process currently, which is unfortunate because this is really about controlling narratives. The reality is, you had a bad group show up. You had another group that was obviously pre-premeditating uh, because they put they had masks. And you have an altercation. So the reality is, is that anyone
0: uh, got a bad cell phone connection there, Terry? Let's try this again. You were saying about uh, the conflicting uh, groups that showed up at uh, Gage Park that day.
1: Yeah. So uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the other group uh, had no business being there. I mean, it was already clearly uh, defined uh, by one organization as the really, uh, lesbian, gay, uh, plus plus uh, group. Uh, they had the the rights to the park. Uh, they had advertised it. The other group shows up. Uh, clearly uh, uh, have very strong views and, and hateful views, in my opinion. Um, but it doesn't help when you uh, uh, have uh, people on both sides wearing masks. It makes it more difficult for the police uh, to arrest those who are, uh, are victimizing other people. So, you know, I think we've got to take back Kula, Kula Jets, understand what the laws of the land are, understand that that's the responsibility for enforcement by police. And the real question is, what proactive stuff the police could have done better. So I think that's what they need to focus on. When these kinds of uh, protests are, are taking place, were they prepared well enough to address these kinds of issues? So I think that's really where the focus needs to be. But as far as the, uh, the, the episode itself, I think the police did uh, the best job they could do under those circumstances.
0: So are you suggesting then that, that there's blame on, on both sides from all the parties that were involved on, at, at that Gage Park incident?
1: Uh, well, no, I, I, I'm saying that I'm talking from a police perspective. Yeah. I mean, anyone can point the finger at who has blame. The reality is, is that we're looking at through the police uh, lens. And the police lens is that uh, you have two clashing groups uh, wearing masks going at it. Uh, so they are exercising their responsibility the best way they can in that context. So the question really is, were they prepared early enough? As far as laying blame, well, I already indicated that the first group should have, as far as I'm concerned, should have never been there uh, in the first place. They were antagonizing uh, a group that was rightfully, lawfully in that place. Uh, they chose to uh, 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 frustrate that situation and, uh, and, and bring their signs of hate. And, uh, and of course, there's a reaction. But the problem is, is that... Uh, you know you, there's nothing um, that it comes out of a uh, reaction when you're using force and uh, so when you respond to force to force uh, then you got a me- melee and uh, I don't and that makes it very difficult for the police to uh, to police and, and and charge the the correct uh, individuals when they're masked
0: Terry do you have a concern or any questions about the the, 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 the manner in which police were deployed that day
1: uh, well I think there's questions that need to be answered in regards to uh, where they truly uh, uh, prepared uh, for any and all uh, circumstances, and and I think that uh, should be uh, under review. And that, I think that's where, if there's going to be criticism, I think that's where it should lie.
0: Does City Council have a role to play in this?
1: Well, I mean, the City Council should not be interfering with the law. Politics and law uh, and and the law don't mix very well. I think our job is to ensure uh, that the police are in fact exercising the uh, the, the general ends and the equity lens and uh and uh those kinds of issues we can investigate it uh right now i don't understand I've been all those years i was in the police board never had those kinds of complaints
0: but there was always this this desire from time to time when there were conflicting stories and and controversial stories uh, about city council to demand this, ask of this, and 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 we had some rather raucous uh, police service board meetings. I mean, you, you you were there, you know that firsthand. Obviously, what was going on uh, when they meet again, and it's going to be in about nine days. My understanding is uh, the next meeting, the middle of this month. Um, is is are you expecting to get some sort of an explanation from the police about what they did and how they did it and why they did it?
1: I think one, they have to lay, they lay, lay the, the whole context out. Were we prepared? Yes or no? Could we've done better? Yes or no? Uh, did we respond appropriately? Yes or no? Uh, again, politics should not be interfering with the operations of the police. But if there's a side uh, or, or, or uh, what appears to be obvious. Uh, Uh, racism or or through the police department, that's a whole different issue. Uh, I don't think anyone's suggesting that, and certainly my experience on the police, they're the best we have, and uh, and I would match them up with anyone in North America.
0: So where does council go on this? Uh, Because obviously you've seen some of the reaction uh, at at council meetings, uh, some of the reaction to comments made by some of your fellow councillors at that last meeting, uh, and there's an expectation by some members of the LGBTQ community that we have had on this program that are saying, look, it, council's got a role to play here in, in trying to bring this together and to heal. What, what do you see council's role here as?
1: Well, I think council's uh, role is to educate. Uh, I mean, healing uh, education is part of that healing and understanding the limitations in which we can act uh, uh, to, to force a narrative uh, that uh, we need to point the finger at council when you don't understand uh, the full breadth of the uh, complexities of you know, these kinds of issues with the Constitution, uh, with freedom of speech, of uh, a freedom to gather, um, there is a whole array of uh, complexities to this whole issue.
0: And, and I know that you've asked staff to investigate some of those things, and, and I, know, I don't think there's a one singular thing you can look at to say this is what caused it. Uh, there's, uh, I, I think, a, a, a combination of things that have occurred here, but one of the ones that keeps coming up time and time again are these displays and, and these, I'm going to use the term loosely, protests that are occurring in front of City Hall every weekend, uh, how do you see that being resolved? Or can it be resolved by counsel?
1: Well, I think uh, dialogue is always a good thing, and, uh, but
0: constructive dialogue. This is not about any group dictating to counsel or dictating
1: to the police. This is about understanding and appreciation of sensitivities and complexities around the issue and build that relationship of trust, because it really boils down to trust, doesn't it?
0: So there's a, there's a bridge that's been broken here, though, and I, I know that you've been following this. I've been seeing some of the, the comments on social media o- over the last l- couple of days about this, and and you know that there are some people in this community that feel, first of all, unsafe, they feel threatened, and they feel as if council has let them down. How do you respond to them?
1: Well, I think that, uh, you, you know, anyone can speak from ignorance. I think the reality is is that uh, uh, they're, they're, I mean, the mayor is hosting this great leadership move, uh, hosting this discussion I meeting, uh let's let's create a path where we're not good to what's wrong Darryl? I do understand what the expectations are. Uh,
0: are you gonna be attending that meeting today? No, no. You have not been invited then? No, correct. Do you know who's going to be there?
1: Um no I don't actually.
0: I mean, obviously the mayor, we know that Didra Pike, and I assume Cole Gately are going to be there. Those are the two representatives that he has asked to, to take part in this, but we don't know who else is going to show up. What would you expect? What would you like to see happen at this meeting? As, as a counselor who's concerned about his community, uh, what, what's the takeaway you'd like to see from this meeting today?
1: Uh, well, an understanding and a, and
0: a path forward, uh,
1: uh, a, a strategic path forward uh, that can help uh, better understanding and, and greater level of dialogue.
0: But you know that there are some prominent members of the LGBTQ community who have declined to attend this meeting. Uh, is that helping or hurting the situation?
1: Well, I think there's extremist elements on every uh, organization, and I think that you got to be- deal and, and and have those conversations with the moderates. Uh, if anyone suggests for a moment that there isn't an extremist in every uh, probably every organization, then they're just being naive. You got to keep the extremists out, deal with the moderates.
0: So, are you suggesting those that decline to go here are the extreme elements of that of that community.
1: Uh, well, and that's, i mean—that's for them to determine, and for others to determine. Uh, I don't know who they are. Uh, I'm making a, gener- a generic statement that uh, anyone that is uh, uh, of that fits that category is is pro- part of the problem.
0: So, where where this, there's going to be another council meeting, there's going to be a police services board meeting. There are some that are suggesting that this thing it, it could be spiraling out control. It could get worse before it gets better. Are you, do you, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel here? Do you see the possibility for for, for the, well, the community to come absolutely.
1: together? Absolutely. When, when you have sorry, here. When you have dialogue, when you create a critical path, when you uh, you can build consensus. Now the problem is not everyone's going to agree, but it to be a greater level of understanding for responsibilities and what actions could be taken, then uh, you are in that path of healing.
0: Uh, that, which sounds wonderful, but are we there yet? Are, 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 do you get the uh, the sense uh, from from what you've seen and what you've heard and the people you've talked to, do you get the sense that 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 there's a desire to try to come together at this stage? Because I, I I got the feeling from some of the comments I've heard over the last couple of days that there's a number of people uh, that just feel as if, no, we're not ready for that yet. We need we need apologies, we need explanations, and, and we're not getting that. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. That seems to be the sense of, of uh, what I'm hearing from a number of people well, that I are conflicting. what their
1: expectations are. But, uh, I mean, let's say, let's, let the evidence unfold. Let's have an understanding of that and uh, what we need to end up, and, and so be it. But, I mean, it's a bit premature to be uh, leaking to all these conclusions until we clearly understand what actually took place.
0: Will we ever find out what took place and have an explanation as to why it took well, place? Well, I think, I think we owe it to
1: the communities, don't we? I mean, I, I, I think that's a, now that's a response to the council to direct the police not on the operational issue, but to, to have that dialogue. All
0: right, and, and I know we're, we're kind of getting into the inside baseball stuff, the intricacies of, of who does what and who's allowed to do what and who should be doing what, uh, but to, just to define this now, it's not city council's job to ask police services for an explanation, but the police services board, uh, right. could and should. Right. That that's that's where the direction, if there's going to be a direction, that's where the direction has to come from.
1: Correct. You're absolutely right about that, Bill.
0: So 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 you're you're simply waiting to see what's going to happen at this police services board meeting as to how the board themselves may respond to this.
1: And, and my experience certainly on the police board is, I would strongly suggest that you uh, what four provincial appointments on that uh, that board. Yeah. Uh, that uh, the real dialogue needs to take place in in the context of the overarching policies around these issues directly with the Police Services Board, not not Council, because that's directly the uh, all we do is control the budget, really and we can make uh, general statements and positions but the real control is at the board.
0: So you feel then that maybe the next pivotal moment in, in, in trying to find some solutions here is going to be at that Police Services Board meeting in the middle of the month? Correct. Terry, I appreciate the time today. A very controversial issue, obviously, that uh, seems to be uh, just gnawing away at, at this community. And, and the sooner we can get this thing resolved, the better. I really appreciate your uh, insight into this. Thanks for joining us. Well, Bill, us. and
1: you're doing your part to have this conversation, so I appreciate the good work you do.
0: All right. We'll stay in touch. Thanks again, Terry. Thanks. Bye. Terry Whitehead, of course, Hamilton City Councillor and former member of the Police Services Board. Uh, we, uh, by the way, have reached out to the Mayor's office. Uh, had a, a quick conversation with the Mayor yesterday evening, as a matter of fact. Uh, and uh, my impression from, from the comments I got from the mayor uh, and from some of the other people that are going to be involved in this, including Deirdre Pike and uh, and Cole uh, uh, are, are Gately, that is, are, are going to say, look, at, let's do this, which is going to happen sometime today, we're told, in, in, in City Hall. Next week, uh, I believe that they're going to be available to reach out and talk about what happened at the meeting and uh, whatever strategies they have decided to go forward with. Uh, but they're not there yet. And uh, in in the absence of that sort of information and who's going to actually even be there today, uh, they, they didn't feel comfortable coming on and talking about this today. So uh, I'll take them at their word. And next week, I'm sure that we're going to hear from many of the interested parties in this and the reaction from you and the rest of the community as we go forward on this.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: What we have endeavored to do over the last little while is uh, is put a face and 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 some realizations about the impact of some of the budget cuts. That uh, the uh, the Ford government has brought forward, and I know that's that's uncomfortable for some people because they said, "Well, you know, we've got financial problems here in the province." Yeah, I, I, we know that. Okay, we get that, and yeah, we know that the other government had well worn it would so welcome out, and it was time for a change. But this kind of change, really? Are you kidding? Case in point, uh, the money that was cut in this particular case, over $600,000, now means that the cancer screening bus that has been uh, going through the hamilton burlington Niagara area for the last little while, uh, especially in in very challenged neighborhoods, uh, has had the funding cut. Now, it's going to be on the road for the next couple of months anyway, probably uh, early into the new year because Hamilton Health Sciences has stepped up, but they don't have unlimited resources, and they can't do this forever. So a much-needed program and a very valuable program to this community is uh, is going down the drain, which is very, very problematic. I want to bring Dave Murphy into the conversation. Dave is the president of QP Local 7800 at Hamilton Health Sciences. Uh, Dave, thanks for jumping in. appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Bill. When did you find out about this?
3: Uh, it was about uh, two weeks ago. I was informed that uh, the Ford government had cut a percentage from the Cancer Care Ontario budget and that uh, they were going to be trying to find where the efficiencies were came out and it was the, uh, the bus that goes around to the communities helping the people that can't get out of their homes, uh, the, exactly what you said, the challenging neighbourhoods. Um, they're going to cut that uh, and the breast screening practice. They also do pap smears and different uh, other services to the community.
0: See I, I take and, exception to the phrasing that they use here when they say we're finding efficiencies. This was the efficiency. This is This is what was helping this community. Uh, this is this is really just a cost-cutting measure. We want to slash budgets. We want to eliminate costs. And, and they don't really seem to care a whole lot about what kind of an impact it's going to have.
3: No, they go after the vulnerable people, people that have a hard time getting to a doctor, getting to these clinics, or just don't go. So when they see a bus in their neighborhood, it gives them hope that people are actually looking at them and, and trying to help. The Spectator did a good ass, uh, story on the, the red zones uh, in the communities of Hamilton and the despair that's happening there. Um you know, they talk about the savings, but how much is treatment um, for uh, women that happen to have breast cancer? Uh, it's uh, very expensive and costly. So if they can get this preventative type service, they also do colon tests as well. So it's a it's a service that to me is invaluable to the community. And everybody should be very upset that the government is attacking them and going after services like this. This is unbelievable uncalled for.
0: Well, walk us through exactly how this, this operation works, because I'm, 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 I am I'm was trying to get some stats on this, and I guess on short notice we couldn't really do that. We will endeavor to get those, but th- this has been a program that's been in place for quite some time now. Maybe you can explain to our listeners, Dave, just how the, the bus works.
3: Well, it, it's manned with nurses. Um, they go around to different communities, set up their um, the bus. It's got information there that uh, ex- explains to them that to come on in and and get a breast screening. Um, there's kits that they could take with them. Um, it's just like a, a mobile clinic, is what it is. It'll go to communities uh, that they, you can't get to. Well,
0: and I, I, I guess more importantly, communities that sometimes can't access the you know the the health services that are available. Uh, some right. some of these people, as I understand it, don't have family doctors. Uh, so they 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 that that's that one portal that you know it could open some doors for this. And and how many times, Dave, have we heard from, from people at uh, the Jervinsky Clinic and others that are involved in this? a good friend Dr. Bill Evans, of course, who does the the show here on CHML on Sundays, uh, that says, "Look, at early detection is key in fighting cancer." This was one of the tools to find, to determine early detection, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's a life saving van that goes a uh, mobile bus that goes around and helps the people in the community. You know, and, and when you read the The Spectator and it talks about people that are speaking on behalf of Lynz that uh, oh, we have many of these uh, situated around the different communities. No, you don't. You have a doctor that goes there. The people that make these comments are out of touch with their community. Um, they live probably in places that they have access to all things. they have the ability. We're talking about people that possibly don't have that ability to get out. Or have a family doctor, and a lot of people in Hamilton don't have family doctors because uh, it's uh, one number one city that has doctor shortages, even though we have this many hospitals in it.
0: There's an interesting st- statistic here that, that I think comes into play here, too. And I, I found this out when I was down at the Eva Rothwell Center some years ago, uh, that great program that's, of course, at the old Robert Line School, and they, they do incredible work in that community. But when I, I talk to some of the people in the social services department here in the city, they say that in many of these challenged neighborhoods, and, and that's not the only one. There are a number of them all over the city, not just down in the north end. Uh, an awful lot of those families uh, very rarely, if ever, travel more than three or four blocks from their home. Uh, they don't usually have access to public transit because they can't afford it. Uh, they don't have access to, to health care or to downtown because they, they don't have the money to be able to do that sort of thing. Uh, so if we don't go to them, if we don't go into those neighborhoods... Uh, they simply don't have access to any of that service, including early detection with cancer.
3: Absolutely. You're 100% correct. And and for the government, that to me is out of touch with the people, to do something like this is unfathomable. And the community should be upset. They should be talking to their MPPs. They should be talking and and writing letters. This isn't something that we should sit by and, and wait on. We just saw again about the pathology moving out of Hamilton, another um, service that's being cut. The, the government's disguising these cuts as efficiencies. And, and it's a, a, again, it's offensive to hear about efficiencies at everybody's health. Well, what I'm, with yeah, cancer. Yeah,
0: what I'm. Yeah, what I'm troubled about here when I hear some of this stuff, Dave, is that it, it just seems as if this is a government that, that came into power about a year ago and simply said if the previous government did it, we're going to scrap it. They, they, they're not talking about whether or not it's an effective program. They're not even talking about whether or not there are some positive results that come from these. If it was done by the win liberals, then it's got to go. And, and that's, that's wrong-headed. I get that. This is a different philosophy. It's a different political party. But, but you know, when you're dealing with people's lives and you're dealing with the, 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 the early detection of cancer, how can you put that on a list and say that's not as important as, uh, well, paying, what is it, $500,000 to his, his, the consultant who's, uh, who's deciding how to do all this stuff?
3: Exactly. You know, it seems like the same rhetoric we're hearing south of the border. That It was done by my predecessor, so it's wrong. And uh, Ford coming in and saying that, sure, there might have been some, some errors there, but scrapping and attacking health care the way it is. And at the end of his um, tenure, they're going to be taking $5.8 billion out of the health care system in unannounced cuts. That wasn't what he talked about originally. That figure wasn't there. And this is coming out of the uh, accountability office these uh, extra cuts, people better start listening to what's happening out there and reacting because their health care is definitely under attack. This is the first cut of many, many. They tried the autism program uh, that, again, was criminal going after, um, you know, people that are having a difficult time. And now we're, you know, you're seeing it again on the bus. It looks like a small little cut, but it has a major impact. And Dr. Bill Evans is absolutely correct. Early detection saves the cost. Saves the taxpayers and and the the budget from having to do treatment.
0: Well, it might even save lives. I mean, let's let's get right, right to the bottom line here.
3: Absolutely, it will. And and this
0: is why this, I'm glad you were able to come on here because this is the discussion I think we need to have. Uh, just a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to have the uh, the new uh, education minister on uh, uh, Minister Lecce is going to join us here, uh, and and we'll talk along the same lines about the impact that programs are having. Uh, because governments are reticent to uh, explain an awful lot of the time the impact that these are going to have. They just you know they kind of pat themselves on the back and say, hey, we're saving you lots of money. But are they really? I mean, if you're going to eliminate this bus and eliminate the program that it does and, and, the, and the, the service that it provides, are you really saving money, or is this going to cost us more money down the road?
3: It's, it's, uh, you have to spend money to save money, and this is a, a small price to pay to keep the bus on the road, Hamilton Health Science stood up uh, to the plate, found the money in their budget, which they're tightly strapped now because of the funding models that the government is imposing on the hospitals. Um, I, I'm at a loss for words at times when dealing with this government, where their where they're head's at. But the people need to understand they're taking services away of stuff and things that we greatly need in this society. And attacking people for breast cancer—everybody knows someone that's had cancer, and a lot of people know people that have had breast cancer. And this type of early detection and screening for the public is is paramount to having this and reducing this god awful disease that's in our uh, in our community.
0: The spokesperson for the ministry, uh, by way of explanation, says, "Look at the Hamilton, Niagara, haldeman and Brant region is well resourced." Uh, this is David Jensen, who's a spokesperson yes. for the ministry. Uh, And referencing the fact that they have family doctors, that there are 22 active uh, breast screening program sites in, in this greater horseshoe area. But the minister seems to be missing the point here. That's not the, the issue. The issue is accessibility to those. And uh, this whole idea, and I, I can remember when this program was instituted some years ago, and it was being praised at that time by, not just by governments, but certainly by health care workers to say, we're taking health care to the people. Instead of just wishing that they could access these, we're going to make sure that they have accessibility to it. And this government doesn't seem to think that's a priority now.
3: And that was the gentleman I was uh, referring to earlier, that spoke about that there's doctors that people can go to they don't there aren't doctors people don't have access to doctors like uh you know these talking heads in the ministry seem to think there is and that's what i mean they're out of touch with what's happening in their their constituents and their community and we have to get back to uh getting it down to the grassroots getting people in there that know what's talking about dr hoskins was one thought he might be doing well but again out of touch when he views and looks through the hospitals He says, though, they're run efficiently. They are run efficiently, but it's costing everything because they're taking different um, services out out of the hospitals. And this is another one. We can't stand by. We have to do something, and I'm hoping the community will be as outraged as I am at the news uh, that they're trying to cut this. But I I thank uh, Hamilton Health Science for stepping up to the plate. It could have uh, easily been dropped quickly, and no one would have known about it.
0: Well, and and to their point, I mean, yeah, I I, I agree with you. I mean, Hamilton House Sciences deserves to be praised for this, uh, but they're facing their own financial challenges now because of some of the the government policies that have been announced. So it's not sustainable. They can't continue to do this. I mean, the province has got to step up about this as well. Uh, but you Absolutely. know, this is this is part of a bigger problem, Dave. Uh, that, that we've talked about with other healthcare providers in this community. Uh, with some of these announcements, and you referenced the lens just a few minutes ago, and I, I know that there's a lot of people that 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 have some concerns about that, and uh, or even with uh, the predecessor of the LINS, the district health councils. But what it did, and and maybe it wasn't as efficient as it could have been, but what it was supposed to do, and I think in many cases what it did do, it provided local input to healthcare delivery. Because you can't have one-size-fits-all. I mean, the health care that we need here in Hamilton may well be different than the health care they need in Ottawa or Sudbury or Kingston or any other community. Uh, and and by dissolving all of these and dissolving Cancer Care Ontario and simply saying we're going to have one great big super board tells me that they don't want to have local input into health care delivery. They're just going to do it as cost-effectively as they can. And, and if it doesn't work for your community, well, too bad, so sad.
3: Well, you're absolutely right. If you if you read the articles that they talk about, they talk about the regions that they service, which at one time they used to call Lins 3, Lins 4. They've now taken that out, and, and they start calling it Hamilton, Halton, Norfolk, when actually that's called Lins 4, and it stood for the local health, local health. Um, they're taking it out each, and you're right on everything you've said, that each um, municipality has its uh, unique Uh, circumstances that they deal with we have a high rate of cancer in the Hamilton area other areas have different um, issues that happen with them but we need input the autism program was a fine example they didn't have any input from anyone about the autism program and how the impact of what it was going to do to the people they don't seem to want public input I've asked Hamilton Health Sciences about these super agencies have the ministry come to them no they haven't asked their input These transition teams, have they offered input? No, we're taking it upon ourselves to try and get ahead of the curve on this. But the ministry's not even talking. Hamilton Health Science is number two of teaching hospitals in Ontario, if not Canada, and the government isn't talking to them. There's something wrong. Something wrong here.
0: Well, and and therein lies the problem. And the community is is the ultimate loser in a situation like this. I mean, you've referenced the cancer rates here in this area are higher than they are in other parts of the province, which is one of the things that necessitated this bus in the first place uh, to try to deal with that. Uh, And and your autism uh, analogy, I think, is bang on uh, because we've had those complaints and we've had discussions with the former minister now, Lisa McLeod, who's in the news again today for something else. But anyway... Uh, who, who, who simply said, this is the way it's going to be. And I said, you can't have one-size-fits-all. Every, every family that's dealing with autism has different needs and different priorities. And you you can't say, here's the money, because they may not need that much. This other family needs much more than this. You, there has to be some assessment. And and here they're doing this now with cancer care. And it's it's the wrong approach. And I, 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 I know that... The, the person who's advising the premier on this whole thing of course is a, a well-known doctor here in this community former president of the pc party here in Ontario uh, but his his legacy uh when he worked in, in the in the GTA was closing hospitals not providing more health care just saving money uh, is that supposed to be the number one priority here when it comes to health care saving lives or saving money where, where do you like you know if you're ranking you know money ahead of saving lives I got a problem with that
3: well, they don't have another 407 to sell, so they have to look at something. So let's sell some hospitals, let's privatize this. That's not the answer. Keeping it public and keeping our hospitals open and safe for everybody is the number one priority of everyone in this community. We need to keep everything public here because uh, health care is not for sale. And And by closing the clinics and closing the bus, they're trying to push it to these small little clinics and you know you can't emphasize it enough the people can't get to them and if they don't get to them they are gonna get to the hospital one way or the other and we don't want to see them coming to the juravinsky because the you know they didn't get to see a bus or didn't get to see a doctor and they could have been early detection might have saved their life
0: well the worst thing you can hear when you finally do go to a doctor or to a clinic or whatever the case might be is is if somebody who's doing your assessment says boy I wish you'd come here six months earlier because, uh, yeah. you know, things are a lot more dire than they, they could have been or should have been. Uh, and that's the whole idea about the early detection that we got into as well. Uh, there's there's a few more months to go on this, as we say. It's probably going to be into the early part of next year uh, before the money runs out on this. Uh, I, I guess we're going to have to do the same thing as as a population here, Dave, that we did about the autism file and about some of the other things. And we got to make some noise about this and just tell this government this is not what we need and certainly not what we want in this community
3: absolutely um we're having a media release next week about the funding cuts that are taking place across the province and i hope people will listen to it and take it take notice that it's the government's disguising a lot of these cuts they're saying they're only cutting x number of dollars when in fact it's almost six billion dollars they're taking out of health care and they've been taking it out since 2009 uh, If you go into the hospitals now and people start saying, wow, I had to wait in this long lineup, and I had to do this, the hospital workers are working extremely hard, but they've only got so much resources to deal with, and the government wants them to find their own resources. And now Hamilton Health Sciences had to find a a reserve fund that they kept for rainy days, so to speak, to keep the bus out in the community, for the communities, the people in the community. Well, we're Uh, going to... We can get enough people to start talking to their MPPs. They're the ones that are elected. They better start listening.
0: Well, absolutely. And, and obviously, I know Hamilton Health Sciences is going to weigh in on this, too. And we're going to get some statistics from them about the efficacy of this program and how effective it and how uh, fruitful it's been over the years, too. And, and, and just, we're going to hit them with facts here. It's not, this is not just about emotion, although emotion plays a part in it. Uh, well, there's, there's, a, there's a factual go ahead, reason why. They... Go ahead, sir. Uh, Dave, we'll stay in touch over the next little while. Thanks for being with us today.
3: I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Bill.
0: Take care. Dave Murphy, president of Keepy Local 7800 at Hamilton Health Sciences. Uh, and, and like I say, I, I know how effective this bus has been. We've talked to people in the healthcare profession about early detection, about how this bus reaches out to, to communities that basically don't have the resources to be able to access some of the services that you or I might be able to do on a pretty regular basis. And that's a concern.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show
0: podcast on 900 CHML. We want to introduce you to the new education minister here in the province of Ontario. Uh, He, of course, is uh, Stephen Lecce, um, and he was part of the cabinet shuffle that occurred a couple of weeks ago. Uh, One of the most important portfolios, of course, in any government. Uh, You ask anybody on the street, you know, what are your priorities? And education and health care seem to almost be interchangeable uh, when it comes to where government should be spending an awful lot of time and energy. Uh, to educate our people and to keep us healthy. So it's it's a monumental job that the minister is undertaking, and uh, we're glad that he's got some time to talk to us about it today, as we welcome Stephen Luchy, the uh, newly minted education minister for the province of Ontario. Mr. Minister, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today.
2: Good morning. Thanks, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I think this is the first time uh, doing your show uh, as a parliamentarian. so It is. Back on It
0: is, and it's good to have you here. I've, uh, by the way, I was talking to your good friend Michael Tobe last night, and he uh, says good things about you, too. I know you guys worked in a previous incarnation in government uh, oh, it, oh, with yeah. the Harper regime, and uh, uh, he's very excited about your new position here in the education ministry, and a lot of people are. Uh, you've, you've had a couple of weeks now. Have you got all the solutions to all the problems that are facing the province anyway, from an education standpoint?
2: Bill, do you mind just saying that one more time and cut out? <laughs>
0: I, I said you've been on, jo- on the job for a couple of weeks now. Do you have all the answers yeah. now to all the concerns that everybody's raised over the last <laughs> little while?
2: Yes, I think I'm on uh, the two-week anniversary. Look, Bill. I, I mean, I'm pretty—I'm incredibly humbled by the opportunity to serve two million young people I have carriage for in the province. For me, I come at this with, you know, really an open mind and an opportunity. I think to really unleash the full potential of our young people. There's a real, I think, anxiety amongst parents and young people themselves that. We're not optimizing their future. We're not giving them the tools and the curricula that's actually going to get them jobs in the modern workforce. And so for me, the mission number one is, yes, to, to listen, to do a tour, to, act, to consult meaningfully, but it's to drive an economic lens through education. I mean, obviously, we're there. We're, the mission of education is to provide them the tools, uh, soft skills, reasoning, uh, logic, all the things you want in a knowledge economy, but it's also to make sure that at the end of the day, We're giving them tools that they can apply in the workforce, because for me, the metric of success is not just the attainment of knowledge, it's the application of knowledge in the workforce. And when you have twice the national youth unemployment rate in this country, I think every government and every party has to do better to get these young people the dignity and the opportunities they deserve.
0: Well, and I'm wondering about focusing about priorities and situations. I mean, we've spent an awful lot of time, and you know this, Stephen, over the years about you know well look at these math scores and look at this. And, and I understand that there's a, there's an importance to that, but the reality here is is that the sort of stuff that we should be teaching to to, to prepare students. Because when I go to the other end of this, and, and I know this from your political experience too, and I talk to people uh, in economic development or people in the innovative uh, enterprises that are happening in communities right across this province, they're saying. We don't have people that are trained to do the sorts of things we want. You know, whether it's coding, when it comes to things like that, we need to be, we're behind the eight ball, especially when you compare us to other jurisdictions around the world. And we really have to step up our game here.
2: I agree. And I mean, that's not a defeatist attitude. It's a realization that we can do better and our young people, I would argue, should insist on government doing better. Because the fact is, when you look at, um, the curriculum that we've inherited from the former government. The fact is financial literacy wasn't a compulsory co- uh, competency. You know, elements like leadership, soft skill development, a mental health um, elements, these things were not universalized in the system. I unveiled just days ago, Bill, as, as some uh, f- uh, you know, listeners will know, a new compulsory grade 10 careers course that puts a major focus on financial literacy, puts a major focus on, on personal budgeting, and building the skills, the life skills, that I think are missing in the classroom. And so I accept the premise that we have to do better in the context of technology, in the context of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. There's some mentions in our curriculum, but not nearly like when you compare us on a jurisdictional basis. So for me, I have placed STEM at the center of uh, that refocus, because I want young monetizable skills. In a competitive global marketplace, if you don't have you know, transferable skills, particularly in technology, it becomes very difficult to be employable. And I mean, we are it's a competitive global market. I mean, we people need to appreciate that. And so I'm trying to think big and go global in the context of how we optimize our young people and give them the opportunities well beyond their communities. I want them to feel like they can reach higher. And so you are right, STEM is missing as a major emphasis. We've placed it at the center of our curriculum, a major emphasis on getting back to basics on mathematics. Or As you've mentioned, we've had some you know, deficiencies in, in, in testing at E2A. You know, I think we need to do better there. We're also putting a lot of money to support training for teachers to uh, strengthen uh, our educators in the classroom to keep doing what they do best, but giving them more confidence, more knowledge, more tools to do that. So there's a multifaceted approach here. But I think it starts in the classroom. I think government needs to really remember it's 2019, and these young people need to have those skill sets uh, to, to face a, a global comp- competitive marketplace.
0: Well, I was intrigued by uh, your, your the rollout of the, the grade 10 program. About, uh, b- because let's face it, if you don't learn financial literacy, you don't learn things like amortization and things of this nature, if you don't have that knowledge, uh, it's very difficult to pick it up because you get thrown right into the breach uh, as soon as you leave school because you've got to get maybe a car loan, maybe a house, maybe paying rent, yep. a number of things like that. And, uh, boy, it's, it's a real challenge for people that don't really have a, a grasp of exactly what has to happen or the implications of it.
2: I know a lot of young people, Bill, who who are younger than the current generation, those you know, teens, 20s, we wish we had that. Like, you know, I wish I had that type of knowledge. It's practical. It's application-based. It's not theoretical. You need both. But, you know, what we're doing in our curriculum as an element of the compulsory grade 10 curriculum that our government revised, and and to be fair, I will give credit to the educators, you know, uh, a panel of educators who helped drive this process over successive months, but the point is we revised it and part of it includes a personal budget for the first year after uh, high school that's part of the compulsory and they may not need to apply that budget they may have the means or otherwise but we're giving them the knowledge and the self-confidence to do that to you know build an excel spreadsheet to know how to live within your means to know how to make tough decisions and know how to build a plan for you know the coming months or years that is good knowledge that is practical it's needed And I would argue uh, what I'm hearing so far, it's a bit anecdotal, but what I'm hearing so far overwhelmingly is positive feedback on that change.
0: With uh, Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce. Stephen, you mentioned you've only been on the job a couple of weeks, but uh, let's let's talk about some of the realities here. I mean, uh, the feedback I've received... Uh, from school boards, uh, not just here in Hamilton, but in uh, surrounding areas here, are are some, I think, some legitimate concerns about the impact that some of the policies have. And I I don't intend by any stretch of the imagination to throw anybody under the bus here and say, hey, you know, these guys messed up. But now that this is on your desk, uh, there are some concerns here about staffing, about uh, budget cuts that are going to have an impact. We've heard teachers getting notices that say you're not going to be employed as of September. Uh, Teaching assistants are worried about their futures at the same time. And, and I know that, that you understand that there's going to be an impact in the classroom, uh, which is really, that's the bottom line. That's the front line of service in there. How, how are you going to address some of those concerns?
2: Well, I think the first is to go through the coming weeks uh, really with an open mind. I mean, I'm listening to stakeholders. I mentioned I reached out to trustees, to every union in the province in the first day of my minutes, just to contextualize, I got appointed. I left that swearing in with the left-handed governor. I went to my minister's office, and I started calling stakeholders. I started calling educators. I started calling parents, student leaders, and union leaders, and trustees, associations, because what I'm trying to signal in word and deed is that I want to understand uh, those challenges. I want to better contextualize them, but also I want to use the opportunity to highlight what we are doing. And there are some very positive things taking place within the ministry that I think ought to be part of the discourse that's being missed. The first is for many folks, including in the Hamilton region across the province, where there are schools that need improvements. There's derelict facilities, you know, there's some challenges with the actual, you know, integrity of the facility, etc. We need more money to improve our schools. We've put $13 billion over the next 10 years on the table in the budget. This isn't money like the former Liberals promised in the final months on the back of a paper napkin, which no one believed, no credible plan, not in the fiscal framework. This is money that's booked to rebuild schools and build new schools across the province. That's step one. Step two is in mental health. We know that there are new needs in the classroom. There are increasing challenges uh, for children with ASD, uh, but also all forms all forms of mental uh, and intellectual and developmental disabilities that can manifest. I appreciate that. Mental health's a huge issue in my family, and I'm very sensitive to it. We took the budget from $16 million to $40 million in one year. More than doubled it. I'm not saying that's where we're going to stop. I'm saying that's a very positive first step. And uh, we'll argue for child care, for parents who know the increasing cost of child care. We introduced one of the most generous tax credits for families, upwards of $6,000 for a low-income family and upwards of over $8,000 for a family that has a child uh, that has an intellectual developmental disability to help them with the, co- the rising cost of child care. So what I'm saying is we have some very positives within the system. You know, we put a billion and a half dollars to protect teachers in the classroom through attrition protection. We put additional money on the table to keep, uh, you know, specialized teachers like shop teachers or music teachers in the classroom because we appreciate the cognitive benefits of some of those uh, courses. We've done that. And I think, Bill, I need to tell people that because the, 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 these are some of these things are, are demonstrable. They're facts. They're not a, opinions. They're not debatable. They're on the table. They're in the budget and they're factual. And so I just need to make sure that folks understand that we are investing in public education. But obviously, we're working with our partners uh, at the end of the day to improve the system. And I think there's a way we can do that in partnership. And I've tried to take the first few weeks of my ministry just to simply signal to people, I am a partner, I'm an unapologetic defender of public education, and I believe education is the way we're going to help build a strong a modern economy in this country, and we need to continue to invest in it.
0: One of the biggest concerns that we heard, of course, uh, was uh, and actually it was one of the initial decisions made by the government, uh, was the, the elimination of the cap-and-trade program. And I don't want to get into the, the you know the, the efficacy of the program itself. The fact is, it was in place. And that previous government, as you know, had dedicated the money from, uh, uh, some of the money anyway, to boards of education and to municipalities to do some of this much-needed infrastructure work that, uh, that you've talked about. Uh, my understanding from the boards I've talked to here, Steve, and I said, look at they can dip into resources and kind of fill the gap for now, but they're looking for consistent funding and and sustainable funding for that. Are you confident that you can
2: do that? Well, on the cap-and-trade fund that was eliminated, let's not forget 97% of that fund was expended. So the story came out saying we eliminated a fund to improve you know, the facilities and to, you know, help with uh, reducing emissions and, you know, and, and getting new you know, windows and things like that, which is all fair game. What the story did note is 97%. The overwhelming majority of the fund was already up the door. So it's hard to uh, uh, communicate, suggest there's a reduction in spending when you've spent like literally all of it. But the point is, uh, yes, we're putting 10, $13 billion over the decade to improve facilities. That alone is going to be transformative when it comes to maintaining uh, our facilities but it also requires us to be to leverage uh, opportunities with other levels of government, partners in the private sector, any way we can improve community center uh, facilities, recreational facilities. we're open to it. But at the end of the day, this government is investing significant monies to improve those facilities, and we're doing that without raising taxes. And I think that is an important differentiator amongst the parties that we're trying to remind people that, you know, look, yes, we've inherited a massive fiscal deficit, the largest debt in the world, literally, of any province or state on the globe. This is a tough place. And I'm here to represent young people. And I'm not going to be uh, part of the problem. I don't want to exacerbate an existing challenge where young people now are literally, by design by the last generation, going to be indebted for the next generation. That's not right. Intergenerational debt is wrong. And morally, I think we have to stand up for it, stand up to it. So my message is one of uh, hope. I think we can balance our budget. I think we can invest in our young people. I think we can give them a solid, modern-based curriculum that gives them the tools and confidence to get a job. That is the mission. Um, and I remain optimistic that we'll work in partnership with our educators, because I think they work hard, and I think they have a minister in Ontario that's going to respect their work. Uh, and also uh, raise the bar when it comes to how we do business in government to make sure young people are at the very center of what we do.
0: You mentioned that you've had some at least initial conversations with uh, those educators that you just referenced, Stephen. Uh, It's it's no secret, obviously, to you and to most of us that uh, there are some contracts that are going to have to be uh, negotiated in the uh, coming weeks, really, uh and it's probably pretty fair to suggest that there's been a rather acrimonious relationship between uh, governments and, and and teachers unions in the past. Uh, are you confident that you can find some middle ground here and and and, and smooth things over and actually get everybody back on t- on track by September
2: you know bill my hope like I want to remain optimistic I think there there's a pathway to reach a deal certainly I hope all parties will will move expeditiously as you know I called on all parties including ours uh to work quicker to get that deal provide predictability to parents that's what i seek that's what i hope i think we can get there i met with every single union and i'm going to be doing just a few more next week but a overwhelming critical mass of unions in person on my second week i called them on the first day i mean i'm not sure there's precedence for this but at the end of the day i'm trying to signal them listen i'm here to listen like let's work together let's find innovative ways within our fiscal realities to deliver um and so i think that that has been a welcomed approach i don't want to get too ahead of the process i mean i'm not you know and i can't negotiate in the public but all i can say to you is that i'm going to listen i'm going to be a constructive partner and i'm going to make sure uh within my authority to to keep kids where they belong which is in a learning environment an inclusive environment where they can thrive and that's my mission and that's my obligation
0: uh, the first uh, hope of many conversations we're going to have in the uh, the months uh, and years ahead as uh, you tackle this ministry. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for the time today. It's great talking with you.
2: Anytime, Bill. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: You too. Stephen Lutchie, the uh, newly minted uh, Minister of Education here in the province of Ontario.